Hello, Valley family. So grateful that you can join us. Not only because this is our Good Friday service that we are doing online, but also for the final chapter in this series that we've been doing on how to live through a bad day. My name is Stephen Francis, and I want to thank you for joining us for this particular worship experience. And let me say this as well. Maybe uh, you're here for the first time. Maybe you've been with us since the beginning. Uh, but all of you right now are watching this at home due to everything going on with the coronavirus crisis. And I know many of you are feeling fatigued. Many of you are feeling overwhelmed still. Many of you are starting to struggle to feel like you can feel anything at all. But can we just say right now before we go any further that we're with you, that we love you, that we're for you, and we believe that God is too. All the more reason why we are celebrating Good Friday, a day that was not good for Jesus uh, that particular day, nor for even the people that were watching it, but actually was extremely significant and powerful for the course of history, including right now, right here. And it's pretty funny when you think about this, because I believe that there's so many things that happen that even though may not be good or even though may not be favorable is a sign of something else. In fact, I believe that we're actually a people of signs. And what I mean by being a people of signs is that there are things that we see in our world, in our life, that we take meaning from. And what's even more interesting is that we can find something interesting and unique and powerful about one specific symbol or sign that someone else views as completely insignificant, maybe even pointless. This actually happened to me the other day. So for anyone that doesn't know me, something that I want to let you know about myself is that I am a big fan of fashion. Ever since I was a kid, I've always loved wearing nice, cool things and always keeping up with what the trend is and trying to be fashionable. That's just something about me. And I was blessed actually not too long ago. There was a family at the church. Shout out to the Martelli family. Love you. Thank you guys for being a part of this community uh, that saw this about me. And they blessed me with these really cool beads. In fact, I'm wearing them right now. You probably can't see it on the cameras, but I'm wearing these really cool brown beads that were gifted to me from them. And I thought, wow, this is so cool. I love how the color goes with my complexion and it goes with other pieces that I wear. Again, that's just where my mind of fashion went. I thought it was great and I'm thankful for it. And you know, I wear this from time to time and just doing regular stuff. And quite recently, actually, I wore this to the grocery store. I needed to pick up some charcoal and some other things for my house. So I went to the grocery store to pick up some things. And while I was uh, in one of the aisles trying to get one of the items I was looking for, uh, a man walked past me. But after he walked past me, he double backed and he said, sir, your strength is showing. And I immediately was like, what? What do you, what do you mean? Like, I, I, I don't understand. He's like, sir, are you aware that you have tiger eye? And I literally wrote down what he said. He literally said this. You are wearing tiger eye. This is a powerful stone that helps you release fear and anxiety and aids and harmony and balance. I just want you to know today, sir, I see your strength. And then he walked away. And I was like, 
That was the weirdest thing ever. But even got more weird is after he said that, he came back and he said, hey, I know we were just talking about Tiger Eye, but have you watched this show called Tiger King? I totally think Carol did it. And I was like, now I don't even know what's happening. Like, why are you talking to me about this? What are you even talking about? And I realized later on when I got home, because I was just so creeped out, that he was talking about my bracelet. The beads on this bracelet are known as tiger eye. And what I just thought was just, oh, what unique colors that go great with my complexion and other things, he thought was actually a symbol of me showing strength and balance in my life. Now, there are so many other different signs that many of us often interpret to be something meaningful. Now, there are some that are objectively meaningful. Meaning if you drive past a stop sign, you better stop because there are things about that stop sign that are important. You might hurt somebody. You may hurt yourself if you don't stop. Speed limits are a little bit different. See, I'm a person that doesn't believe in limitations. I believe in the power of God. So when I see a speed limit, I don't see I should be limited this way. I believe, no, God has called us to more. So I'm going to go further. Don't actually live according to that. I'm just trying to be, I'm trying to get you out to laugh today uh, in your homes as we are in this situation. But either way, there are limits, there are signs that we should all abide by. But then there are also many people that like to buy things as a symbol. Many times they'll buy expensive things and they'll have lavish items, not because they need it, not even because they're functional, but simply because they want to communicate that they have wealth that they are somebody. And there's also signs that we communicate one to another, especially in relationships. Any person that's in a relationship, dating, with children, whatever, everybody here knows that there is much communication that occurs between two people, multiple people even, that can be nonverbal. You know how many times growing up I was acting the fool at somebody's house or at school and someone would tell my mother and my mother would give me just a look And that look said everything that I needed to know. Even worse is that now at 30 years old, my wife gives me a very similar look. And that look tells me everything that I need to know. So in this world that we live in, where there are signs and there are symbols that we draw meaning from, so many people are also wondering this. What does What is what is happening right now in our culture? What is what is happening right now with the coronavirus mean about us and God? Is what is happening right now with us a sign that God is judging us? Is what is happening right now a sign that God has forsaken us? And I struggle with that question. First and foremost, because I do not believe it is in any of our pay grades to diagnose what God is doing ever. So many times we might think God is doing something in our life that is bad only for us to look back on it later on and be like, God was doing exactly what he needed to do in my life. God was working exactly what needed to be done in my situation. And I believe that that is true of this. I don't know why this is happening, but I do know that God is doing something in the midst of it. But I even want to challenge that thought a little bit further. Because I want to ask you, what does it look like when God is favoring your life? What does it look like when God is putting purpose 
and doing something in your life that may not feel good in the moment, but perhaps can be a good moment like we view Jesus's death on the cross as a good Friday. This is what we've been talking about in this series in different ways as we talk about how to live through a bad day. See, this entire series has been inspired by Hebrews 12, verse 2, which says this. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way. Cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor right alongside God. See, many of us, we know that we can't do life the way that Christ did life. But we know that we can be inspired and we can live better, closer to what it is that Christ has exemplified for us each and every day. Which is what this series has been all about. And this brings me to the passage that we're going to be focusing on. Luke 23, starting at verse 44, it says this. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour, for the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last breath. Jesus Leading up to this, had been beaten, he'd been cut, he'd been called names, he's been abused, he has suffered all types of negative treatment from people even that he thought loved him, that he believes loves him. Yet nevertheless, he experienced all type of hurt, including the ultimate pain physically of being nailed to a wooden cross. And I think about this. That first hour for Jesus must have been excruciating. The second hour for Jesus must have felt unbearable. But then the third hour came, and the fourth hour came, and the fifth hour came, and the sixth hour came, and Jesus still is feeling the pain and the hurt of not only of all that was happening to him right there in that moment, but scripture also says he bore on his self the sins of the world to be crushed, to be hurt to that extent. And nobody here, I believe, ever has experienced any type of hurt the way that Christ felt hurt that day. But maybe you are here watching under the sound of my voice, feeling like, man, I know what it's like to be rejected. And the pain hasn't gone away. I know what it's like to be fearful. And the pain hasn't gone away. I have been living in all types of insecurity and all types of uh, bitterness and hurt. And it has been detrimental to myself. And despite how crushing it's been to me mentally, physically, spiritually, it is still not left. 
And in this time that Christ was on the cross, he had seven statements that he made. And this has been the thing that we've been focusing on as he was in this excruciating place. The things that he could muster up the strength to say because all of it is significant and all of it can help us who are living through a difficult circumstance right now, including the people that I was just mentioning. The first thing he said was, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And we talked about that in week one about the importance of forgiveness about the importance of letting go of those things that people have done to hurt us. The next passage was Jesus consoling one of the other people that was hung up on the cross next to him. And he said, today you will be with me in paradise. Uh, we learned about the importance of helping someone else out that is struggling, helping somebody else out that might be going through a difficult situation, which I believe is something all of us could put into practice right now in our lives. The next thing is Jesus looked down and he saw his mother who was already in, in pain and anguish over seeing her son being uh, brutalized and about to die. And he also saw his disciple also grieving. And he said, take care of, he said, excuse me, woman, behold your son and son, behold your mother. As a way of saying, look after one another, take care of one another, watch out for one another. That is the love that we are supposed to have, especially in times like this, especially for people closest to us. You know, sometimes what is so difficult is it is very easy for us to love the people that are from afar, but it is very difficult for us to love the people that are closest to us. I believe that's a challenge that Christ calls us to do, especially on, in this passage on the cross. But then we see Jesus say something else. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this part of the passage gives me much hope and much confidence in knowing that it's okay to ask God questions. Let's all be honest. We do not know what God is doing. And I, I just want to say this one more time. I don't think it's our place to diagnose what God is doing. Please do not speak on God's behalf if you don't know what you're talking about. But I will also say this as well. God welcomes our questions. God welcomes our, our, our disappointments and our fears, and we can communicate to God uh, whatever it is that we are truly feeling in a moment. And then with that, we also see this. Jesus says, I thirst while he is on the cross, which means he acknowledged that he was a person of need in that moment. It didn't matter that he was God. It didn't matter why he was on the cross. He still had pains and hurts. Can I encourage you real quick in here? If you haven't heard that message, check it out. But can I encourage you in here right now? I know there's a lot of people watching that are trying to be strong for their family, trying to be strong for their uh, job, trying to be strong for their community. It's okay to say you're not okay. It's okay to say I need help. I need someone to walk me through this. And the last thing he said that, uh, that we've spoken in this series was it is finished. And it was not finished. He was still on the cross suffering. He was still on the cross dying. But that statement of it is finished was him having confidence that there was purpose and an end to a suffering. And we believe that that is true for each and every person in here. But the statement that Jesus said before he breathed his last breath was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And before I go any further, I do want to acknowledge just one thing about this passage. Because in this passage, in Luke 23, I believe it's verse uh, 45 even, it says that the curtain in the temple was torn in two. 
And the reason why this is a very significant part of scripture is because what it was saying in this part in this time period, the temple that existed, there was a curtain that was a partition between the spirit of God and the people. And when the and when the curtain tore, that meant that there was no longer a barrier. There was no longer a separation between us and God. Christ's death on the cross broke the partition so that any of us, no matter who we are, no matter what we've done, no matter what we've been through, now have a connection to God that never existed before. I want to encourage you right now that there is nothing that separates you from the love of God. In fact, right now, if you're watching with somebody, just give them a quick nudge on the shoulder or something and just say, there is nothing that separates you from God. Encourage somebody out there today. You can even type it in the chat so that someone else can read it. There is nothing that separates you from the love of God. We need to know that today. We need to live according to that today. But the last words that Jesus said before he gave up the ghost, before he gave up his spirit, was, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And, you know, growing up, because I grew up in church, I would hear this passage and I would say, like, this was Jesus's uh, last words because he was just saying, take my spirit, God, I'm done. Take my take take my life, God. It's over. I like there was this old show where this dude, every time he would have a heart attack, he'd be like, I'm coming, Elizabeth. Like, I thought that would be what Jesus was doing in that moment. But actually, this passage, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit is a quote from a psalm. And we see in Psalm 31 what the actual context of this verse meant. Starting Psalm 31, starting at verse 4, it says, Keep me free from the trap that is set for me, for you are my refuge. This trap that he's talking about is the belief that I can take care of myself, that I can look after myself. You are my refuge, God, not me, not what I can muster. You are the person that I depend on. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Deliver me, Lord, my faithful God. If I can translate what this verse was trying to say, what this passage was trying to mention, is that it was saying, God, I trust you. I don't trust myself. I trust you. Jesus' last words on the cross was him saying, God, I trust you. In the midst of the pain, in the midst of the suffering that I am enduring, I trust you. And Jesus trusted God to the very end. See, when Jesus said, it is finished, that was his statement of triumph. When Jesus says, into your hands I commit my spirit, that is his statement of trust. I want to encourage you today with this truth. That I believe the last thing that we need to learn from Christ's life on the cross, from his death on the cross, is that we need to finally surrender our day to God and let it go. How to live through a bad day, you follow all the six steps that we've mentioned before, but also you finally surrender your day to God and you let it go. Can I be honest with you, though? This is difficult for me. There's a tension when it comes to passages like this. Because the truth of the matter is, I believe 
that there are simply things in this world, that there are simply things in this life that I'm responsible to figure out. They could be very minor things, but they're still up to me. If I am on, if I'm in line at McDonald's, that is not the time for me to pray, Lord, do I get the McNuggets or do I get the Big Mac? Lord, reveal your will to me. Show me what you want me to eat, God. Do you want me to get the medium fry or do you want me to get the McFlurry Savior? Show me the way. I don't think God cares. In fact, if you pray to God about what you should get at McDonald's, the Holy Spirit might convict you to leave McDonald's because it's not good for you. Except the fries. The fries are anointed. Let's be honest. McDonald's fries are the best fries you can ever buy anywhere because the Holy Spirit descended upon those fries. But that's not the point. God doesn't care about that. When I got dressed this morning, I didn't need to say, God, do I wear the black shoes or the white shoes? Show me your will, O oh God. Show me which. God doesn't care. God cares about you, but God doesn't care about that. But then there's also other things in our life that God does care about, that you can pray to God about. But ultimately, if we can all be honest, who are watching, it's up to you to figure it out. I've mentioned this before in a, in a previous message that I did a while back ago. But I remember I was hanging out with a friend of mine and my friend was saying that, man, I've been praying that God would help me lose weight. And I laughed at him. And he was like, what's so funny, man? And I was like, listen, dude, I'm sure God absolutely cares that you take care of your body and that you lose the weight that you need in order to live a healthy lifestyle. But I also do believe that God will not control the fork for you. I also do believe that God will not wake you up and get you moving at the gym. That is your responsibility to do. I'm not saying you can't pray for that, but I, I'm also thinking that God is looking at you and saying, okay, I will help you, but you need to do that for yourself. How many times I've talked to so many married couples who was like, I need God to fix my marriage. And I believe that God can intervene in your marriage. But I also need to ask you too, what have you done to fix your marriage? What have you done to work on your marriage, to work on your situation? Yes, we could use the favor of God in circumstances like that, but ultimately it's on us to do the work. So there are things that we're responsible for, and then there's also things that only God can control. I cannot heal cancer, but God can. There are certain doors and opportunities that even though I can work as hard as I could ever work, I can never get through unless God opens the door. I, I've been mentioning this in the 8 p.m. prayers if you've been participating, but something that I always do when I'm on a plane is I pray that God will protect me on that plane by reading Psalm 23. Sometimes I don't know the words to say because I get a little nervous, a little bit too nervous for someone that's flown as much as I did. But either way, I start to get a little nervous and I just start reading Psalm 23 because that's my way of feeling like I have uh, a feeling like the Lord is going to take control of this plane. Because I can't drive the plane. And even though the pilot may know what he's doing, if we hit turbulent skies, if we're flying through a storm, only God can keep that plane up in a way that none of us can. Which, by the way, if you ever want to test the power of the spirit of the living God on your life, fly spirit airways. I promise you it's going to challenge you. But nevertheless, 
there are things in my life that I am responsible for, and there are things in my life that I have no control over, and I need God to intercede on my behalf to help me get through the situation, but I have a hard time telling the difference. So there are so many times, instead of me praying, God, I trust you, God, I need you, I am praying a, a prayer to God that's us trying to co-labor together, of us trying to collaborate together. And when I feel like God is taking too long, when I feel like God is not working in my life the way I would like him to work in my situation, then I start to believe that it's up to me. Then I start to interpret what is happening as a sign that I'm on my own. And that I have to figure this out. That may not be true, but that's how I'll interpret it. And the problem with that is this. And I hope that this is a secret that I can keep between myself and all of you that are watching today. Is that when it comes to me trying to work out things in my life without God's help because I believe I'm on my own. The truth is, I'm terrible at it. Because I don't know what I'm doing. In fact, I'm bold enough to believe, even though you might be successful, even though you might have things figured out in your life that I don't, that you may not know as much as you need in order to be successful in life either. Which is why it's important for us to not live in a life full of worry, because that's all that worry is. Worry is us trying to figure out how we can get control over things we can't control. And these are the moments where we need to say, God, I'm going to do the best that I can do, but I'm going to trust in you to do what only you can do. In fact, in order for us to do that, in order for us to let go and let God in our lives, I think there's three quick things that we can learn. The first thing is this. In fact, I do want to read, uh, the, I do want to believe, excuse me, I do want to read this passage here in Matthew chapter 6. This is a long passage, so I'm going to speed through it. Matthew chapter 6, starting verse 24. No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Many of us really are, even though, yes, we love God, we serve God, we really need money right now, and that can sometimes drive our hearts to do desperate things. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you more valuable to him than, than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautiful as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for the wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? In times like this, I get a little bit annoyed because it's almost kind of like, God, this is the most hippiest thing you have in Scripture. How can I not be worried? I don't know how I'm supposed to get my bills paid. I don't know how I'm going to provide for my family. I don't know if I'm going to make it through this health crisis. How could you tell me not to worry? I believe 
it's important for us to have an understanding of what worry also means in the original Greek. Because in the original Greek, worry meant having a divided mind. This passage of scripture is saying, why do you have a divided mind about all of these issues? Meaning, are you going to trust that God is going to take care of it? Are you going to be the person that says, no, I'm going to figure it all out on my own because God has taken too long and he's not doing what it is I'd like for him to do? Are we going to be people of faith that allows for us to believe that God is going to get us through this? He's not going to take us out of it. That's not how he works. God puts us through situations and we see him work through those situations. I believe that with this spirit or, or with this culture of fear that we're in, that fear can be used as a way for us to exercise our faith muscles and grow stronger in him. And with that said, I want to encourage you with this truth. No matter what you're going through, no matter what situation you're in, that the presence of difficulty in your life does not equal the absence of God in your life. I'm going to say it one more time for the people in the back. I want to encourage you today that the presence of difficulty in your life is not equal to the God's absence in your life. Let us not have a divided mind that the difficulty that we are dealing with is equal to God not knowing what he's doing. And I believe the three ways that we can best learn on how to overcome in circumstances like this. Is first that we need to get to know God better. Many of you guys know God that are watching this, but I want to encourage you to get to know God better. In my time of, uh, of being quarantined and human distancing and things like that, I've had so much more time to be in God's word. And the thing that I've noticed about God so that I've, that I've started to grow so appreciative, appreciative of, that's how you say that word, is that God is non-formulaic. God is always powerful. He's always good. He's always making a way out of no way. He's always doing the miraculous and the marvelous. But you cannot predict God ever. What he might do for you will be very different from what he does for me. We might see similarities, but at the end of the day, it might be different. And the more I've gotten to know God's heart, Knowing that he cares for me, knowing that he's for me, knowing that he's not against me, knowing that he's brought me through so much before, so I have no reason to believe that today he quit. I've also come to appreciate how God is a master of our lives in making things matter. I believe, and scripture says, all things work together for the good of those that love the Lord. And that does not mean that everything that happens is good. But that does mean that everything that happens to us will matter and will bring us to good. I don't believe anybody a year, two years, ten years from now will say the coronavirus was good. 
But we, by faith, can believe that through the power of Jesus Christ, that the coronavirus can matter and can cause for us to start doing more good, to start stepping out and believing God more than ever in our lives before. It's not good, but it can bring us to something good. And I started realizing this as I've been, like I mentioned before, quarantined and self-distancing and being sure I'm doing my part to be sure that, uh, that this virus stops spreading. Uh, some of the things that you do when you're home more often is you watch more TV. And uh, my wife uh, has a lot of shows that she enjoys and I have my shows that I enjoy and oftentimes we'll come together and see if we like the shows that we like. And one of the shows that my wife likes to watch is Baking Wars and Sugar Rush and these shows where there's these competitive baking competitions. And what I love about these shows, honestly, is that you get to see just masterful creations of things that are edible. In fact, I have a picture of, of one of those things right here. I just want to show you real quick of just this beautiful decadent cake that was made for a ceremony and a competition and the person won it was wonderful and, and my wife loves those shows and the show that I often like to enjoy is another show similar to that called Nailed It where they will have people that compete that are not masterful that are not skillful whatsoever and they get told to make something like this and it comes out like that completely different than what was so masterful and creative on another program. And it's fun to watch and, and, and we get a good kick out of it. But it hit me the other night how interesting it is that the person that made the beautiful cake and the person that made this mess had the same ingredients had the same tools, but one of them was a master at what they did, and the other one straight up just didn't know what they were doing. And I started to think to myself, is that not true about my life? If I try to live my life by my own rules and my own circumstances, I can make a mess of things. Church, I have no problem letting you know I have made a mess of my life in multiple ways at multiple times. But what happens when I give God, the master, the creator, the author, and the finisher of my faith, the creator of the universe, what happens when I give him my life? Perhaps when I trust in God to do what only he can do in my life, in my situation, maybe I can find that God is actually doing something masterful in me that I could never do on my own. Can I encourage you today right now that are watching that God is doing something masterful in you right now, right where you are, right where your situation is. It doesn't matter your health right now. It doesn't matter your bank account right now. It doesn't matter your health dynamic or your family situation right now. God is doing something masterful in you right now and I want you to take faith and take hope in this truth that God is in control and you can trust him in the process you may not see the end result yet but I promise you won't regret it the next thing that we need to do because we know God better and we can trust in him is we need to put God first in every area of our life 
You know, this isn't in your notes, but I want to read this real quick. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, all of these worries, all of these, uh, the food you need, the finances you need, the clothes you need, the, the, the mortgage you need, whatever you fill in the blank, all these things will be added unto you. You know, the thing about our relationship with God so often is that we do, many times we have moments where we come to trusting in God, but the thing that I want us to know is that God is someone that wants to not only have our trust in big things, but God wants us to have our trust in him daily. Meaning, God wants us to be able to not just trust him for a cure, but to trust him in the preventing of something going wrong. God wants to do some significant things in your life today. God wants to do some things of significance right now. But if we leave it to ourselves, we may just trust in God just to get us from point A to point B uh, in a big situation. But God wants to help you avoid big situations that are troubling and maybe step into some big situations where he is impacting people around you. If I could make this a little bit more clear, let me put it this way. I, was, I had a stage in my life, in fact, it was while I was pastoring here at Valley Christian Church, where the Lord put it on my heart to be sure that any time I was outside, I would ask somebody, uh, whether it was a cashier at a store, whether it's a, the teller at the bank, or, or someone even buying or, or helping me buy sneakers, that God put it on my heart to say, ask that person if they need any prayer. Ask them if, if there's anything that they need prayer for. And can I be honest? I'm a pastor. I'm a Christian, and I believe in the power of prayer. There were so many times where I was like, God, I don't want to do that. I'm just trying to mind my own business right now. I'm just trying to get this coffee. God, I'm not trying to make this a thing. Uh, I, I know uh, I'll, I'll pray for them. I don't know what they need prayer for, but I'll pray for them in my head. Uh, but I don't, I don't want to, you know, make it awkward by asking them. And I felt God continued to tell me, ask people if they need prayer. And I began doing that. And there were a lot of times where I said, hey, is there anything you need prayer for? And they said, no. And I was like, okay, well, that must have not been God then. It was, but I, it didn't feel that way. I've had times where I said, hey, is there anything you need prayer for? And people was like, uh, actually, yeah. Like, could you pray for this? And hey, uh, wh why would you ask that? And, and, and what do, what do you mean by pray for people? Can you tell me more about it? And I've seen people even attend this church because I asked them that question. And I've also had a recent situation where I was on the phone with somebody and, and this person was helping me through some customer service issues. And the person was about to hang up and they said, hey, is there anything else you need today? And I said, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, is, is there anything you need prayer for? And again, I'm just trying to mind my own business, but now that I've trusted God every step before then, I was able to ask this person, is there anything they need prayer for? And, they, and, and the person that I was talking to on the customer service line began weeping, literally sobbing on the phone. And keep in mind, they were still recording the phone call for customer assurance purposes. 
And the person begins to tell me their story of how they've been struggling with their health and now they're about to have a major surgery in the hopes that they'll be able to live a longer life and they are terrified and they are in fear and they needed to know that day that God was with them, that God was real and suddenly doing their job answering phone calls, someone says, is there anything you need prayer for? My obedience from the beginning brought me to a place where I was comfortable enough to trust God to ask somebody then. There are steps and there is growth to our faith in God and trusting that he is going to do something in our lives. And I believe that there's people right now where God wants to do something in your life. But we need to trust him daily. We need to be sure that we put God first in every area of our life. The last story I'll tell you because this just blows my mind and then I'll move and, and then we'll go into the last point. One of my mentors, Kevin Queen, one of the pastors in an incredible church in Tennessee, uh, told me this story one time about how he would jog around his neighborhood and uh, there would be a person that was in his neighborhood that would always be watering his grass. And God told him every time he would run past him, he was like, go tell him about, go tell him about me. Go tell him the gospel. And uh, the guy and, and, and my mentor, Kevin, he'd be like, dude, I'm not doing that. I'm sweaty. It's hot. He lived in Atlanta. Uh, he's like, it's, it's I'm sweaty. It's hot. He, he's clearly trying to mind his own business. They had this big old dog. I'm not walking up to tell him about. And then eventually he was like, you know what, God, fine, I'll do it. So he walked up during middle of his run, sweaty, beating sweat, dog barking at him. And he was like, hey, uh. Can I, can I tell you about Jesus real quick? And the dude watering his grass was like, uh, sure. And he tells him all about Jesus. And then he says, uh, so do you want to give your life to Jesus? And the dude was like, uh, no. And he was like, fine. And then he, and then he went back on his run. Just completely again, it's like, fine, God, I did what you said. I trusted you to, I trusted what you were saying to me was right. And I, and I went about my own business. Church, five years later, Kevin Queen, the, my mentor, was doing some work outside of his house. And that same man walked past him and he said, hey, do you remember me? And Kevin was like, uh, kind of, wh where do I know you from? It was like, you ran up on my yard one time and told me about Jesus. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, that did happen. How are you? And he was like, good. I just want to let you know I'm a pastor now. When you said what you said to me, it brought me on this entire uh, course of my life. And now I'm doing ministry at this church locally. Just wanted to thank you for that moment. Never had the chance to do that. Because somebody trusted God in one moment, changed the entire course of somebody's future. And we are right now in our homes, we are right now just doing our best to not get sick or to find healing from sickness. And we're trying to trust God that he's going to get us through this. And I believe that he will because we are going to know God better. But we're going to know God better, not just in the big things, but we're going to know God better in our day to day. We're going to trust God and we're going to say, God, who would you like me to reach out to? Who would you like me to love on today? I don't know. Who would you, uh, tell me what you want. I'm going to trust you. 
I'm going to believe that what you have for me is exactly what I need to be obedient with. And the last thing, and I'm done, is that we need to live one day at a time. I don't know what the future holds. At the time of this recording, I don't know when this coronavirus crisis is going to be over. I know that there's a lot to worry about. I know that there's a lot to have fear in. And a lot of those things are justifiable. But I want to challenge you today with this. Is that the same way over 2,000 years ago, a man on a cross dying, people mourning, darkness covering the clouds, was considered a bad day. His final words were, God, I trust you. And that one moment after he gave his life is now the moment that we are celebrating right now in this room as you walk. I don't know what the future holds, but I know that God is in control. I know if I can trust him with whatever I have to get through today, and that, is not, that does not mean that what I'm trusting God with is going to be easy. That does not mean I'm going to be comfortable. In fact, the Savior that I look to for comfort and for strength suffered a terrible death. But I also know that same Savior that I look to and find comfort from also overcame the grave three days later. Whatever your dark moment is, whatever your dark situation is, can I encourage you right now, church? There's a, there's a resurrection coming your way. There is power. There is something coming your way in the name of Jesus that is going to be better than you ever expected. And the question we just need to ask ourselves right now is do we trust God in the midst of this? Do I trust God with what it is I am dealing with right now in this moment. Tomorrow's going to have problems too, but I'm going to take the time to say, God, today I trust you. Give me the strength to trust you today, to believe in you today. In fact, I want to pray that for you right now. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And I want to pray this prayer. And I did this uh, at one of the last services we had physically here at Valley Christian Church, but if you're bold and if you're willing, if you feel comfortable, I just want you to extend your hands out. Extend your hands out like you're carrying something, like you're holding something. And I want you to join me in this prayer. Repeat after me. Dear Lord, I trust you. These things that I carry are the burdens that I have. I give you my burdens now. I trust in you to get me through. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name. Amen. And if you're somebody in here right now, who you've never given your life to Jesus. 
you're watching because you're with family, you're with friends, this is shared on your page, what have you. I want to encourage you right now that if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And I just want you to join me in this prayer real quick. Just repeat these words after me. Dear Jesus, I give you my life. I want to trust in you. I want to believe you're in control. Thank you for your love. Thank you for this gift. In Jesus' name, amen.